Hello and welcome to this season two of the From the Moon podcast with me, David Pleasant. This year has seen the opening of the 23rd International Exhibition of the Triennale Milano. It is entitled Unknown Unknowns, An Introduction to Mysteries. And so on each episode, we try to unpack a different component of this quite literally unknowably vast subject matter. In terms of like interdependencies, one thing that we walked away with, you can't help but read all 10 of them and not have a sort of profound appreciation for what the planet Earth provides for us already. What do we think that we know about the universe? And could or should we even be attempting to know everything? Perhaps we can learn to coexist with life's mysteries. We'll be asking all these questions and many more here on From the Moon. During the course of this series, we'll be speaking to artists, designers and scientists who will guide me, your host, on this journey through knowledge and understanding. In episode two, we venture into the great unknown, delving into three fantastic installations currently exhibited at Triennale Milano. Although all very different, together they help us see the speculative, investigative and cultural scope of our unknown unknown theme. What can we learn from a mysterious fish that uses electromagnetic fields to see? And then we explore a different sense altogether, the olfactory, and specifically how to capture the earthly smells that can be smelt by astronauts. But first up, we explore architecture in space. Leading New York firm SOM recruited its finest architects and researchers to devise a manifesto of sorts. Decalogue for Space Architecture, created by Yorgi Petrov and Colin Koop, sets out 10 points for designing buildings in space. Rather than proposals or rules, they provide us with a speculative way of thinking when it comes to extraterrestrial architecture. It builds on knowledge developed through SOM's multi-year partnership with the European Space Agency to design the first permanent human settlement on the Moon. I spoke to Colin Coop on the thinking behind the project, but first you'll be hearing some excerpts of the Decalogue for Space Architecture read by SOM's very own David Vanderhoff. The beautiful sound design you'll also be hearing is by Milan-based design studio Dot Dot Dot. For the past half century, humanity has explored the heavens by constructing pragmatic space habitats for short duration missions. These forms of architecture offer protection from the hostile realities of space with little emphasis on the long-term well-being of their inhabitants. Today, in light of new technologies and a reinvigorated spirit of exploration, space architecture has reached an inflection point. Establishing a permanent presence for humanity in space, untethered to Earth, requires new forms of architecture. It must transcend both the capsule architecture that came before it, as well as our terrestrial building traditions. A new architectural identity should emerge from a focused exploration of the forces that govern the cosmos and the human experience of these phenomena. My name is Colin Coop, and I'm an architect at uh, SOM, and I uh, dabble in space architecture. 
uh, I like that. Dab- you, you dabble in, in something uh, very uh, kind of... Uh, very technical. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that attitude. So, Colin, um, I wanted to speak to you on this episode of From the Moon, in which we are delving, maybe a little bit more than dabbling, we're trying to delve into the great unknown, and particularly into space and the universe around us. For Triennale, you have, SOM has contributed by way of producing a decalogue. As you have said, it's a decalogue for space architecture. It's 10 speculations on design for an interplanetary future, I should say. So, Can we begin by exploring this project? How did you go about selecting those 10 components? I read through and I'm kind of struck how it's simultaneously very complex in parts and also quite simple. It's got a very uh, kind of clean purity to it. Tell me about the project and how you went about doing it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. You know, we had, uh, SOM had been, doing uh, research work with the European Space Agency for uh, several years, um, studying uh, near-term space habitats, you know, what, what's possible today. And, you know, we, we, uh, in that process, we crossed paths uh, with uh, Ursilia Vauda, who is uh, uh, at the European Space Agency and, you know, um, uh, was asked to curate this exhibition by the Triennale. And so, you know, we started a conversation uh, with her about what what contribution we might uh, be able to make. And, you know, it was really her initial provoc- provo- provocation, which was, um, you know, let's go beyond uh, the present day. And let's, the, this is the, the theme here is unknown unknowns. And let's, you know, sort of string out into the future um, what is... Um, space architecture, what, what is the kind of habitat that we have to make if you move beyond our known technologies of today? Um, and, you know, uh, myself and, and Georgi Petrov, uh, who did the lion's share of the writing, um, I think we were, we were interested in something more meditative and less specific because the risk of thinking about space architecture is you're either completely hemmed in by the pragmatics of how you build um, uh, viable space habitats, or you lose sight of the pragmatics and you just make science fiction, right? And, and you just invent, you know, a floating sphere in, in, in space and it looks like a Star Trek, um, you know, space station or something like that. And, and we've all kind of culturally, we've become accustomed to those images, you know, for the last 50, 60 years, we just... Uh we have those images in our head. So you're sort of making a conscious decision to not, not fall down that path. Right. And, and I think that the, so the answer was to sort of square that circle by saying, we're going to just place in front of the reader the necessary ingredients for humanity to thrive beyond the surface of the planet. And we're not going to speculate necessarily on the resolution of the of the architecture, but rather the ingredients, and you know the ten that we we picked, um, kind of neatly divide themselves um, into you know five that are really focused on well you have to do these things or the or the human won't live you know um, 
you have to provide protection from cosmic rays. You have to um, uh, provide protection from extreme temperature shifts and, and, and so forth and so on. Um, and then the other five became much more focused on, on less on the physiology of a, of a human being and what they need and more on the psychology of a, of a person. And so, you know, how do you address the fundamental problems of, of, of confinement, long-term confinement in small spaces? How do you confront the fact that actually for humans to thrive, they can't be the only species in the environment. They need, they need more species around them. Um, how do you find uh, spatial experiences that humans have, um, you know, are hardwired into our DNA uh, to make us healthy uh, through wellness and, and, and having access to, you know, large open spaces and diverse ecosystems. And so that it, it really does become, you know, a speculation on both uh, the pragmatic engineering side and then much more on the sort of phenomenological spatial and experience side. Confinement. Architecture in space should provide relief from feelings of isolation while also allowing for privacy. Humans are not built for an isolated existence. We cannot thrive without a diversity of interaction. At the same time, our need for privacy is essential. Habitats in space should allow residents to find the right balance between sociability and solitude, community and privacy. Extraterrestrial architecture should provide much of the rich variety of open and private spaces that exist in communities on Earth. Besides places to be alone, there should be spaces for a small team to gather or for an entire community to assemble. And at this point, it might be worth listing those 10 distinct uh, meditations. So I'll go ahead and list them. So there's gravity, extremes, cycles, rays, mass, confinement, as you mentioned there, symbiosis, resilience, light and colour. And we're also hearing some of the excerpts of those meditations read by your colleague, David Vanderhoff. Rays. In a universe flooded with fast-moving and destructive particles, architecture is our first line of defence. Throughout the universe, supernovas, neutron stars and black holes launch atoms at nearly the speed of light. On Earth, we do not encounter these particles. Our magnetic field and atmosphere provide the barriers to stop them. But cosmic rays pose a lethal danger to humans in space. For long-term settlement in space, our habitats must serve as a shield. The challenge, however, is balancing the cost of launching these materials with the protection they can provide. So, moving on, and maybe we can delve further into the Decalogue that you have produced. As I mentioned, I was intrigued at how kind of relatively simple some of these ideas are, and yet they're kind of entwined with meditations that are, are kind of thought-provoking and relatable. So you've really struck an interesting balance there. And that kind of brings me on to the relationship between the scientific, the technological aspects of design in general and architectural design, what you do, versus an approach that maybe is more grounded in imagination and creative thinking. That's obviously something that all architects have to kind of deal with, that kind of balance. But for you, and maybe if we start with this project, where does the pendulum swing for you on that scale? 
Well, I think we set out from the start trying to create something that was very accessible to the general public. Um, I, I would critique my profession, design, designers in general, and certainly architects as, you know, sort of often unable to distill down their thinking into communicable bites of information that, that, that anybody can take in. And um, I think it was really important for us to be able to say, um, you should be capable of communicating these 10 provocations in a way that even a child could understand them. Um, and, uh, and so the writing, I think, is pretty plain spoken. And I think the 10 themes um, are, are the kind of thing that we hope that you would read and say, well, I get that. That's obvious. Um, but, if, but, but also that if you read all 10 of them in a row, there's just kind of an interesting interrelationship and you begin to sort of notice interdependencies between various, various aspects of it or even contradictions. Um, so for example, um, you know, the, the, the writing about mass and the writing about, um, rays, um, you know, and the observation there is simple, which is just, it takes when, when you're designing space habitats, the obsession is to have the least amount of mass possible because it takes a tremendous amount of energy in the form of a rocket to launch that habitat into space. Um, so you want the number to be as close to zero as possible in terms of mass. But then the moment you get into space, um, you want as much mass as you could possibly have because of cosmic rays, which um, are tremendously damaging to the human body, um, you know, cause cancer and, 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 and other um, various ailments. And uh, the single best way to protect a person is to have tremendous amounts of mass surrounding them. Um, and so those two things are written separately and, and talk about both the challenges and the reality of having to think about those things for space architecture. But hopefully the reader walks away and understands that, that, that the contradiction exists and the resolution of that contradiction is the essential, one of the essential ingredients to creating space architecture. The other, just in terms of like interdependencies, um, uh, there's sort of one thing that we walked away with uh, after having written these was, you know, you, you can't help but read all 10 of them and not have a sort of pr profound appreciation for what the planet Earth provides for us already. That was architect Colin Coop of SOM speaking to me about the Decalogue for Space Architecture, on show now at Triennale Milano's international exhibition Unknown Unknowns, An Introduction to Mysteries. Also on show is another installation that transcends artistic and scientific disciplines as a way to research and think about the unknown. The Sensorium of Animals is a vast body of work that was undertaken from 2016 to 2019 by German artist Susanna Hertrick and Swiss-Japanese researcher Shintaro Miyazaki, who are both based between Berlin and Basel. Focusing on the electromagnetic capabilities of a certain species of fish, Susanna Hertrick talked me through her work and approach. Our starting point was um, the sensorial abilities of the elephant nose fish. That uh, is a very special fish that can sense electromagnetic fields, but also, and that is really what makes it special, can create its own electromagnetic fields that the fish uses to actually see its environment because it's nocturnal 
and lives in cloudy waters where his eyes don't don't help the fish very much. And in the project, sort of we yeah we wonder about our own electromagnetic infrastructures that we are surrounded with, like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all these kind of signal worlds that we um, connect to and link to with our devices or yes, just surrounded by without ever being asked if that's something we want or not want. But uh, we, with our human bodies, we have no chance of, of sending these or, or um, yeah, feeling them or seeing them in, in some sort of way, which the fish could potentially. So we ask what, you know, could we build devices that um, allow people uh, a new sense that's somehow similar to that of the fish. So could we sense our electromagnetic environment? The sensorium of animals exhibited at the Unknown Unknowns exhibition is a truly interdisciplinary artistic research project. So Susanna Hertrick coming from an artistic approach and Shintaro Miyazaki from a media art and science background, it was only natural that they both chose to deep dive into the project with not one but three perspectives. First came the historical contextualization of their research question. Then they looked into the realms of what if by applying what they called fictional world designing. Finally, they delved into media experimentation in an attempt to make their prototypes work. For Susanna, historical context and inspiration for this work came from the history of early computer science in the 1950s and 60s, and her research into what she calls sensory augmentation, and the idea to use computer technology to expand the human sensorium led her to the pioneering work of American neuroscientist Paul Back Irita. He tried to make blind people see with their skin, and for that he created a matrix of actuators, let's say a matrix of little electromagnets that tap on the skin, and by tapping kind of draw an image, a very lo-fi image of something. I think there was even an image of a fish, interestingly enough, on the on, on the subject's skin and let them tell what they saw, so to speak, and they saw something. And from this historical context of neuroscientific research, Hertrick and Miyazaki imagined the sensorium, or whole sensory function, of the elephant nose fish to be quite similar. It too, quote-unquote, sees its electromagnetic field through its skin. Now, if we go back to our unknown unknowns theme, and it's easy to go on a tangent, and sometimes, as we are discovering, it's good to let the mind wander, Susanna Hertrick felt that her research took a slightly different path. Thinking about the electromagnetic spectrum somehow, I think it's a known unknown, because yeah. we know it exists, but we cannot sense it. Um, we can measure it if we have specialist tools for, let's say, a specific frequency. But it seems that these... Um, yeah, the, the electromagnetic fields somehow are often seemingly behaving in an erratic way or almost mysterious. So in that sense, I think they allow for a quite big range of interpretations because in, at the end of the day, it is quite unclear what's happening here. And in that sense, I think also that kind of feeds into our project that we didn't want to have this one narrative or this one answer. For this research duo focusing on one single answer or narrative on the workings of electromagnetic fields was not the right approach. 
Moreover, for Susanna, this would be what you might expect to see from the big tech players. She believes that too often these commercially driven entities, while providing technologically advanced infrastructures, only offer one-dimensional narratives about their products, usually focused on quote-unquote possibilities and convenience. So is Susanna using her tools as an artist and researcher to undermine or at least question these big tech narratives? Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, so with our research project, we published a book actually quite recently. And in that book, we have a scientific text, um, we have a poem, and we have some kind of a yeah science fiction short story. And that short story is very much centered around, let's say, the future of um, corporate-run smart cities worldwide and what kind of, you know, daily implication that has on people. And it's also speculating about a, like a counter-movement, a group of people kind of founding their own cities that are trying to be, let's say, a, a counter-approach um, uh, to these company-based um, sniffing out data for commercial purposes kind of, of place. Back at the Sensorium of Animals on show at the Unknown Unknown exhibitions, we can see the physical, immersive manifestation of Hertrick and Miyazaki's inquisitive and imaginative artistic process. This imaginary lab of an unnamed scientist that you can see see through a window and you can look at all the artefacts, the objects, the, the chalk drawing on the wall, all the bits and pieces that I hope together form some kind of story in, in people's heads and so they can imagine what is going on or what could be going on or how they would, you know, feel um, in a world where they could probably sense electromagnetic fields. That was artist and researcher Susanna Hertrick there talking me through the Sensorium of Animals, a research-based artistic project she worked on together with Shintaro Miyazaki. And you can see it for yourself on show now. From the mysterious sensory abilities of a species of fish to another sense now. This time, the human olfactory system, put simply, the ability to smell. New York-based artist Annie Liu's contribution to the Unknown Unknowns exhibition is entitled Olfactory Time Capsule for Earthly Memories. She talked to me about what she learnt about smelling in space and everything she learnt that we do not yet know. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And the topic of unknown unknowns is so exciting and interesting and applies to so many dimensions of life, I think, both on Earth and otherwise. Um, for the pieces that I'm showing at the Triennale, they first started while I was a graduate student at MIT. And at the time, I was doing a lot of research on synthetic biology and smells. Um, so... I was deep in research in the olfactory space, and I was also part of the MIT Space Exploration Initiative, um, a space where I had the pleasure of meeting a lot of astronauts, actually, and thinking a lot about um, the rigors of space travel. And while I was there, I had the privilege of being surrounded with scientists and engineers who are solving a lot of different problems in terms of what it would take for us to 
go into space, but as an artist and as, as a designer, I was really interested in the emotional aspects of space travel. What does it mean to leave Earth for extended periods of time? What does it mean to be in an extraordinarily long-distance relationship even? Um, and then thinking further out, what does it mean to go on a one-way trip there and to never come back? And so I think at the time, my research with olfaction and my interest and serendipitous meeting with astronauts started to converge. And I thought, well, what are some of the things missing in space? Um, and the idea of the smells of Earth came to being. Um, as I was talking to some of these astronauts, I learned that while you're in space, while you're in zero gravity, your blood is more evenly distributed in your body. So your sense of smell actually becomes muted. And I found this to be so fascinating. Of course, during COVID times, I think we know a lot more about the impacts of the loss of smell now. It deeply impacts taste. Um, and so one of the things that um, several astronauts talked to me about was how food doesn't really taste <laughs> the way it does on Earth. Um, and they would have, especially on holidays, for instance, a deep nostalgic missing of their favorite foods. And so um, it started with me wondering, oh, I wonder if I could create something that could bridge that gap. For instance, what if you're eating bread, <laughs> um, maybe somewhat bland bread because it's received lots of radiation and has to be shelf-stable for space travel? And what if as you're eating that bread, you're smelling the smell of delicious pizza? <laughs> Would that bread start to taste a little bit more like pizza? So I started to kind of play around with a wearable that you could put near your nose while you're eating something that you're not um, tasting very well because of the lack of smell and basically that the this capsule would um, amplify the sense of smell even more. And then as it started, the project started to progress, I was like, oh, actually, maybe there's something even more that you can do beyond the smell of pizza per se. Um, what if it was a capsule that could allow you to smell anything you wanted from Earth? What if you missed the ocean or the smell of dirt or the forest or even your spouse? And so I started to create um, this kind of olfactory time capsule for potentially someone's favorite memories on Earth. So great. So that brings us up to your artwork and what you produced after that research. Was the main aspect of that for you linked to what you've called the emotional aspect of space exploration? Was that, did you feel most comfortable exploring that? Is that what felt like the, the most interesting thing to, for you to do when you came across these uh, astronauts and, and other people working with space exploration? Was that kind of something you thought was missing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure NASA does a lot of research on the mental well-being of their astronauts. At least I would hope that psychology is a deep um, aspect of all the other amazing research that they do. I think part of it is, as an artist and as a researcher, I believe in embodied intelligence um, being that I think for a lot of history and philosophy, we've separated the mind and the body, <laughs> that the mind is rational and that reason is apart from the emotional. But I think that the more we learn about neuroscience, the more we find that actually all of it is 
rather interconnected. In this environment that is relatively sensory deprivated <laughs> because you are in various suits or in zero gravity and everything is metal and plastic, what are some ways to kind of bring back that um, embodied animal holistic way of being. Um, and smell, I think, is so interesting because our olfactory receptor is actually a very, or I should say the olfactory bulb in your brain is a very ancient part of your brain. I think sometimes you um, hear about like the quote-unquote reptilian brain um, in us. It's very close to um, the parts of our brain that are associated with emotion and fear and memory, um, which is why I think that you, there is so much poetry written about smell and why um, a certain kind of pastry might immediately recall conjure up thoughts of your grandmother or something like that. And there's a really great quote I'm trying to remember. It says that smell is pre-verbal and has no capacity to pretend and I love that because especially in things like space research and exploration, there's so much symbolic language at play. There's so much logic and reason and um, so much complicated math and physics to solve. Um, but the idea that there is a mode of communication and knowing that is non-symbolic, that is just visceral, that immediately binds to your receptors and then you just know it. Um, I think it was a very beautiful kind of, not contradiction, but maybe um, something to coincide with all of those other systems that were at play. That's great. Um, kind of you bringing me to the subject of knowledge and knowing something or not, and back to the theme of uh, the Triennale, unknown unknowns. So kind of to end our little discussion, would you say that that's something that this project has allowed you as a designer, as an architect, as well as an artist, has this research allowed you to know that bit more about how we are as humans? It's such an interesting question. It's funny because the more I dove into this project, the more I learned about sense and how olfaction works in our physiology, the more I didn't know. <laughs> it turns out that there's certain things that um, we haven't studied very much as humans or haven't done a good job understanding very well. So I feel like there is so much unknown outside of Earth and then there's so much unknown in our own bodies. <laughs> and I think that, again, those kinds of juxtapositions are really interesting. And I feel like there's probably parallel paths of discovery that could co-inform each other that I think is really interesting. Um, but for me as an artist and designer and practitioner, it caused me to look at things differently, to consider design both on a molecular scale and all the way into macro scales, such as the social, political, and economic implications of certain things. Um, there's probably not enough time to get into it, but smell is also very... Um, political, <laughs> you know, what smells we decide to celebrate and what smells we decide to repress um, through perfumes and deodorants is, I think, very tied into histories of colonization and sex and gender included. So I would say that, yeah, sometimes by knowing more, you discover more unknown. 
That was New York-based artist Annie Liu there talking to me about her work, The Old Factory Time Capsule of Earthly Memories, on show now. And that brings us to the end of this second episode of Season 2 of the From the Moon podcast, in which we have ventured into the realms of the unknown, whether it be in space, beneath the water, or even in our noses. Next time, we take a look at the cultural space between scientific fact, or that which is deemed real, and that which is invented or fictionalised. So it might be a sci-fi-themed show, but there is nothing vintage about our guests. This podcast was brought to you by Triennale Milano. It was written and presented by me, David Pleasant, with production support from Pale Blue Dot. Sound editing and design was by Alex Port Felix, and the theme music was created by John Arnold of Superdrama. <laughs>